Uh, we're going to begin this morning um, with a passage of scripture that I think everybody in the room knows. You've watched it on television, you've seen it a plaque on a wall, everybody knows the story and these scriptures, and I'm going to start with Exodus chapter 20. Here we go. Exodus chapter 20, it says, and God spoke all these words. Whenever you see God spoke the words, you get ready, right? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Look at verse 3. Now, I want you to read these verses with me. You know the Ten Commandments, right? I didn't say you kept the Ten Commandments. I said you know the Ten Commandments. So here we go. Let's read these together. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol image, I'm sorry, in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or the waters above. Now, let's do, the, let's do verse, five, verse 5 better than that, okay? I messed that up. Here we go. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, I've never coveted my neighbor's donkey, have you? I'm, I'm, that's about the only one I'm safe with so, so far. All right, we're going to take a little test this morning, kind of we get going here. And in order for you to go to heaven, you've got to pass this test this morning, all right? So we're going to keep, we're going to, we're going to take a little test here of the Ten Commandments. And I, I want you to, like, in your mind, like, tally which ones you've kept. I wouldn't write these down because your neighbor might see you, okay? Besides, so I, I would just kind of mentally keep a little note here. And we're going to see how many of the Ten Commandments you've kept in your life, all right? Okay, the first one is no other gods. So if all the days of your life, every day, from day one, you know, Jesus Christ, God the Father has been your God, you can count one. Number two. No graven images of all your life, no superstition. You've never taken that little thing of St. Christopher, buried it in the ground to sell your house. You know, you can count that as two. Number three, you've never, like, misused his name. You've never said, oh, God, or oh, Jesus. Really, it's talking about misusing his name is I don't think he's big enough to accomplish what I need. Most of you in the room are 0 for 3. All right, number four, remember the Sabbath. You've never worked on a Saturday in your life. You've never mowed the grass. You've never cooked a meal. Some of you women say, yeah, that's right. I've never cooked a meal. You've never, ever worked on the Sabbath. You can count number, number four. Um, uh, let's talk about honoring your mother and your father. Never said anything derogatory about your parents. Always spoke highly of your mom and dad. Okay? You can count that as one. I, none of them in the room got that one, all right? Um, we've never murdered. Hopefully most of us in the room have never committed murder. I got one so far. Have you? That one? Okay, I got got one. Uh, Do not commit adultery. We won't talk about that. We'll slide over that one. Um, You've never told a lie. Never ever spoken a lie, a white lie, a bad lie. You know, the dog ate my homework, okay? Um, You've um, never coveted your neighbor's ox or donkey. I get that. But what about the car, the pool, the boat, I mean, of all things, the boat. 
We'll leave the boat out of this. You've, you've coveted something that somebody else has. All right, here's our test. All right, ready? Tally your scores. In order for you to keep the law, to get to heaven, you have to keep all 10 of these. Okay? Now, how many of us, is there anybody in the room that's kept all 10 of the commandments? Anybody that's sane, you've not gotten off the psych ward recently? Anybody in the room? Okay, nobody's kept all 10. How about nine? Anybody kept nine of the commandments? How about eight? You feel the tension in the room just a little bit right now? Seven. Anybody kept seven? This is not a very spiritual group right here. That's all I got to say. All right, just, just if you've broken one law, you're a lawbreaker according to the, the commandments, right? So we're all cooked. We're all in trouble. Now just watch on the screen, Luke chapter 18, Jesus addresses these commandments again. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 18. He said, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Well, you know the commandments of Jesus, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not murder, you shouldn't steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. Look what he says. All these I've kept since a boy. He answered, here's what Jesus said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, come what? Come, follow me. If you were to ask me to just simplify to bottom line Christianity, what is Christianity? Christianity is God and Jesus, whether it's a nation, and that's what the Ten Commandments were for, for the nation of Israel to come follow him. This is exactly what Christianity is today. It's following Jesus. Say that, following Jesus. What is Christianity today? Christianity is simply following Jesus. And here's what Jesus said to Matthew. Matthew's the same guy, by the way, that wrote the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus said to Matthew when he was a tax collector, Jesus said to this guy who'd sold out to the Romans, and he said, I want you to come and follow me. He didn't ask Matthew to change his doctrine. He didn't ask Matthew to change his beliefs. He asked Matthew to change his allegiance. And that's what Christianity is. Christianity is changing your allegiance. And everywhere Jesus went, he said to Peter, come and follow me. He said to Andrew, come and follow me. And all of these people thought, my goodness, I am so disqualified. And this fits with every one of us in the room this morning. I'm speaking to people this morning who probably think you've shut too many doors. You've got too many dead ends in your life. There's no way that today God or Christ would call you to come and follow him. And that's exactly what he does. And that's the message of what is Christianity? Christianity is following Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, it's real easy for us to take those laws and try to replace them with New Testament rules. And I'm going to try to make this all come together here in just about five minutes. But you don't have to give me five good minutes. We're going to go all the way around the barn before we come in the front door, okay? 
And so what I've heard today then is, well, we know that we're lawbreakers and we know we can't keep the Ten Commandments, but we begin to look at some of the New Testament rules and we strive so hard. Maybe I can keep the New Testament rules. And if I can keep the New Testament rules, then I'll be like a good Christian. And so we look at the Sermon on the Mount, just the Sermon on the Mount, three amazing chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And we see that in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it ends with be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. These three amazing chapters, and it ends with be perfect. And you're going, how can I do that? I know I'm not perfect. I know the best minute of the best hour of the best day of the best year of my life, I'm still not perfect. I'm in trouble. And in that Sermon on the Mount, he says, be like, be like the sons. And these sons act in a certain way. And when they act this way, they get to be sons of your heavenly Father in, in heaven. And so you look at the New Testament. And very easily, we begin then to just take this Sermon on the Mount and say, okay, let's be rule keepers, and let's be rule followers, and let's just kind of replace maybe this Ten Commandments with this amazing Sermon on the Mount. And if I could just live up to the Sermon on the Mount, then I would be a really good Christian. And so I'm going to strive so hard to live the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with, you know, if you really want to be happy... And who doesn't want to be happy? If you really want to be happy, then you got to be poor in spirit. You got to be meek and you got to be merciful and you got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you need to be a peacemaker. And you're going, I'm not a peacemaker. I stir the pot. How can I ever live up to the Sermon on the Mount? And you, you read through the Sermon on the Mount and it says, I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. And I want your deeds to shine before men in such a way that they they may see your good works and glorify your Father in your heaven. And you're going, how can I do that? I'm just trying to pay the mortgage. I'm just trying not to get in a fight with my neighbor. How can I be this way? And Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And then Jesus in about an hour, stay with me. We're going around the barn. We're halfway there, okay? Still with me? We're in the back of the barn. Just wait a minute. We've got, we got 180 to go. So, so then Jesus begins to deal with all the major social and theological issues of the day. And, and in one hour, Jesus deals with divorce. And he deals with adultery. And he deals with judging people. And he deals with your enemies. And he deals with when you pray and when you give and when you fast. And Jesus deals with every social and every theological doctrine of the day in about an hour on the Sermon on the Mount. And it ends with, be ye perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you're going, there's no way. I mean, I couldn't keep the low level of the law. I couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. How in the world am I ever going to keep the standard of the New Testament that Jesus Christ then just paints out for me? And the answer is you can't. And the answer is you won't. And the response is you never were intended to do that. That's what Christianity is. It's God's amazing grace. It's a gift 
that God gives you. He knew you couldn't keep the low level of the law. He knew you would never keep the Ten Commandments. And he knew that there was no way that you would ever keep just the rules and the regulations of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's why Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. And he is the fulfillment of everything the Father ever wanted. And so you and I then accept Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. He took your place. He died in my place. And what Jesus Christ did for you and for me, it is amazing. And I love to tell that story. That will be our theme all throughout glory. It's an amazing story that you and I, we can't live the law. We can't live the Sermon on the Mount. So what do we do? We just dismiss it? We just throw out the Ten Commandments? Don't go to school tomorrow and say, hey, my preacher said we don't have to follow the Ten Commandments at our church. That's not what I'm trying to say. What do we do with this? Well, the Ten Commandments are such a practical guide of holiness for our lives. And what I have observed is that when you ignore the Ten Commandments, it just leads to slavery. And when you employ the Ten Commandments in your life, it leads to amazing freedom. But you already knew that. And so rather than for the next five or six minutes me like telling you, you should not commit adultery, you should not commit murder, and you shouldn't, you should not lie, and you should not, rather than doing that, I've observed in the ministry that I really can't talk you into anything and I really can't talk you out of anything. I've learned that. My job is not to talk you into something. My job is not to talk you out of something. My job is to clarify truth. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth then would set you it would set you free. And so for just a couple minutes this morning, I want to talk about what's going to happen to you if you choose to violate these wonderful commandments that God gave to us. And I'm not going to do all of them. I'm just going to do a couple of them. We're going to, we're going to group a couple of these together. So let me start with um, just the first two, Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods. The next one, you shall have no graven images. We know that, right? No other gods, no graven images. So again, rather than me trying to, you ought to, or you should, or you must, I just want to paint for you a picture of what what will happen if you choose to violate those two amazing commandments. It comes from a king, and his name was Solomon. And Solomon was clearly told, and he knew very clearly that he was to have no other gods in his life. But here's what King Solomon did. Here's a violation of of not keeping those two commandments. All right, we're in the barn now. You ready? We're in the barn. Here we go. King Solomon, however, whenever there's a however, that's never a good sign. You notice that? However, you know, mom and dad, I'm going to be home, but however, I'm going to be late. It's just never a good sign. However, he loved foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, They were from nations about which the Lord told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, that's not a good word either, is it? Solomon held fast to them in love and he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. 
and his wives led him astray. I'm going to leave that alone right there, okay? I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to leave that alone. His wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And he followed the Asherahs, the, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their God. Here's the consequences. You violate the Ten Commandments. Here's the same response God will have for you as he did for Solomon. The Lord became angry with with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who appeared to him twice. And although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And so the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I've commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. This is tragic, isn't it? This is a tragic thing that happens in 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 an area of one of the smartest men in all the world. Solomon was probably the smartest man who has ever lived. And yet he chose to violate these commandments. If you ignore these Ten Commandments, it will enslave you. But if you employ them and you embrace them and you follow them, it will lead to amazing freedom. Well, he mentioned his father, David. We all know about a couple of things that David did. We all know we're not supposed to commit murder, right? And we all know that we shall not murder. And we all know that we're not supposed to commit adultery. And that's exactly what David did. David had an affair with who? Bathsheba. And he killed, what was the husband's name? Uriah the Hittite. Very good. All right. So look at, the, look at how the violation of this happens. This, is, this will be Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives and your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in, in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife, was Bathsheba, to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, here's the consequences. The sword, the sword, David, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me, and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. If you read the Chronicles and the stories, you'll see that's exactly what happened. You see, you can choose, you can be a Christian today. You can have all your sins forgiven. You can be going right toward heaven. But if you choose to ignore these commandments, there are consequences that God has for your life. My job is to point out the consequences. My job is to clarify for you, this is why you want to do something. This is why you don't want to do something. Can we do one more? 
All right, one more. Let's do one more. Uh, here's another grouping. I want to I group about three of these commandments together. Look at this out of Exodus. Uh, you shall not steal. We know that. We're not supposed to lie. We know that. And we're not supposed to covet, covet our neighbor's stuff, right? Um, the interesting thing about coveting, by the way, is coveting is really saying to God that I'm not happy with what I have. I'm not happy with what you did. I'm not happy with how you made me. Coveting is really saying I, 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 it's not... It's not ambition, it's unhealthy. It's saying, God, I'm just not satisfied with who you made me. And so this is a story, again, about another king, King Ahab and Jezebel. By the way, there's lots of children at this church. I wouldn't name any of your girls Jezebel. There's lots of other female names you can use. But this is a bad name. Jezebel's not a good name, right? Remember that? All right. So here's Naboth's vineyard. This guy named Naboth has a vineyard, but the king is coveting this amazing vineyard. So let's look at these passages of Scripture in 1 Kings. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is so close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth said, the Lord forbid I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. There's a whole story on that. You didn't give away your family land. You didn't sell your family land. That's another story for another day. But anyway, Nahab goes home sullen. What's he doing, folks? He's pouting, isn't he? He's the king. He's pouting. Goes home sullen, angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So he lay on his bed sulking, and he refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and she placed his seal on them, and she sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city. In those letters, she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. What's she doing? She's setting him up, right? Then take him out and stone him to death. That's a really nice queen, by the way, of the whole land. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth city did as Jezebel directed the letters she'd written to them. They proclaimed a fast. They seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. And so they took him outside the city and they stoned him. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that refused to sell it to you. He is no longer alive, but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up, he went down, he took possession of Naboth's vineyard. All right, look at verse, keep going. Then, here are the consequences. You see, you can steal... And you can lie, and you can covet other people's stuff, but here's what's going to happen, okay? Then the word of the Lord, 
That's always a really bad sign if you're a bad person, right? The word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's possession of it and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, your blood as well. If you read the story, I'm telling you, have you ever read the Bible? It, it is, it, it's not boring. There's some great soap operas taking place in the Old Testament, but they're just real. They're just, they're, they, they really happen. It's a great story. It's exactly what happened to Jezebel. It's exactly what happened to, to Ahab. See, this is a series about freedom. And I think you figure this out. I think you've lived long enough that you've figured this out, that whenever you sin, sin takes away your freedom. And whenever you do what is right in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of Scripture, your life gets more free. This is why I came up with this slogan a year or so ago that I've said this, and this is original, but I think it fits for all of us. When you live your life within the margins of Scripture, life will go well for you. And when you live your life outside the margins of Scripture, life will not go well for you. When you live your life outside of Scripture, life does not go well. And when you live your life inside the margins of Scripture, life always goes well for you. This is a series on freedom. And God called a nation And Jesus called individuals, and Jesus is calling all of us as individuals to come and to follow him. That's what Christianity is. Christians follow Christ. And Christians receive the amazing grace. We're sinful. We're not perfect. We can't earn our way to salvation. We can't keep the law. We can't keep the low level of the law. We certainly can't keep the high standards of the law. So what do we do? Well, we live today in what's known as the church age. And the church age so far has been, without a doubt, the best age to live in. You and I get to live in the day and the age where the scriptures are actually completed. When the Ten Commandments were being written, the scriptures were just kind of getting started. And when Jesus is sharing, even with the rich young ruler, come follow me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these books hadn't even been written yet. You and I live in a day and age where we have truth, 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 truth. We have 66 books of truth. When you live your life within the margins of Scripture, life goes what? It goes well for you. And when you live your life outside the margins of Scripture, life will not go well for you. So we have an age, the church age, where we have the Scriptures and we have the Spirit. We have both of these together, and when both of these are working together, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you in just a minute. In the application, I'm going to to talk to you. But we live in a day and age today where both of these are together. 
There's an old timer, guy's dead, been dead a long time ago. But when I went to Johnson years ago, I picked up on a guy by the name of Vance Havner. And Vance Havner wrote something and said something, he's dead now, but he said something that just stuck with me. And he, Vance Havner said, if you have only the word of God, he said, you dry up. If you have only the spirit of God, he said, you blow up. If you have both of these, you grow up. And I thought, man, that, 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 that sticks with me. If you have only the word of God, you dry up. Only the spirit of God, you blow up. But you have both of these, you end up growing up. And that's what we have today. We have the spirit. Look at what 2 Corinthians says. 2 Corinthians says this to us. Now, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. There is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the, who is the Spirit. And Galatians 5, then, 25, tells us this. Galatians 5 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So I, I want to encourage you today to embrace the Ten Commandments. I want to encourage you today to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I want to encourage you today. And what the Spirit of God is going to do for you and me, He's going to lead us to a whole lot more of can-dos than can't-dos. The Spirit of God is at work in your life. And the Spirit of God has a plan for you today to be used, and the Spirit of Jesus is going to live through you. God has amazing plans for the church God has amazing plans to use you in his church. God wants to keep you out of the ditch to observe the Ten Commandments, to follow the Sermon on the Mount. Absolutely. But the glass is not half full. The glass is not half empty. The glass is half full. And there's so many things that he wants you to do through you. I just want to tell you this story about Jonathan and I in Spain. Then I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up with, with you and me. As many of you know, a week, week and a half ago, Jonathan and I were going to Spain for a week, and we were going there, going there to support a campus pastor. And the campus pastor's been there for eight years, and he's had nobody come to him. And so when we got there, the campus pastor has a staff of about seven people, and he and his wife. And so we, we didn't really realize how hungry they were. And so Jonathan and I are sitting around dinner tables telling stories. We're pouring into them. We're praying over them. We're giving them all kind of church ideas and theology and scripture. We're just there for a week. And after a week, we're ready to come home. I've never been to Europe. I went to London. I went to Spain. I went to Rome in seven days. I've never even been to Europe in my life. And so we were flying from Rome back to Chicago a week ago Thursday. It's an 11-hour flight. And once we get into Chicago, about five o'clock Thursday evening, we have two hours to go go through immigration, pick up our luggage, recheck our luggage, go through security, catch a train to get to our terminal and get to our gate and get on the plane. And there is no way in Hades we're going to make it. And our plane from Rome is 45 minutes late leaving, which gives us even a shorter window, an hour and 15 minutes by the time we get to Chicago to, to do all that. So we land in Chicago 40, 45 minutes, at least 45 minutes late. And we get the end of the runway, basically, and we get off the plane, and there's ticket agents, Parker and Adrian. They got, they've rebooked us. 
We're going to leave Chicago about 11 o'clock p.m., get back to Tampa about 1.15 a.m., and we're going, oh, we don't want to do that. Can we, we got 40 minutes. Can we make it? I mean, you should have seen Jonathan and I running through the airport. How many of you remember the O.J. Simpson commercials? Yeah, that, that dates you. Okay, you're old. Okay. Jonathan and I, we are sprinting to immigration. We sprint to get our luggage. He's grabbing my luggage. I couldn't find my luggage. He's got my luggage. He's got both luggages. Jonathan was a riot. He's running now to recheck our luggage. We are flying. This one poor old lady, I mean, it's packed. The airport's 5 o'clock Thursday night. It's thousands, thousands of people. One old lady saw us coming. I kid you not. She just went like this. I don't know if she was praying or trying to be invisible, but I, she knew we were going to mow her over. Her life was going to come to an end with two pastors at the Chicago airport. We're, we're running. We're running through there. We get there. The train is right there. We're the first stop off the train. Jonathan's got his shoes off like 40 feet before you have to. And this lady said, you're obviously in a hurry. He said, yeah, we're trying to get there. Some other lady led us through. We passed 70 or 80 people in one line. That doesn't happen in America, okay? And so we're running, running into the gate. We're running, running, running. We get to the gate. And they said, um, you know, you've been rebooked. We're sorry. Well, Jonathan said to me, he said, easy. Because he knew, he knew I was getting on that plane. I wasn't going to pull the pastor card at that point. I was getting on that plane. He said, easy, we'll get on this plane. And there were about six people waiting to, um, on standby. And she said, you've been rebooked. I said, I got a ticket. So she put us on there. We were the last, I was the, I got, he got a seat. I, I was the last person. The seat, it has 32 seats in it. it has, I'm in 32B. I'm in 32B. There is no 32C. That's the bathroom kid you not. I'm on the last seat. I sat down and I realized why we were on that plane. I'm sitting next to a lady named Elena. And Elena's from from, um, Michigan and she's coming to Bradenton to a wedding. And Elena begins to talk to me about her 31-year-old daughter who served in the military. And she's now a mechanic for American Airlines. And Elena began to talk to me, and I began to talk to her. She asked, what do you do? And I told her what I do. And she said, do you like it? Do you like church? I said, I I do. I do like church. Do you like your church people? Yeah, I actually do like church people. And she began to tell me about her stories, a little girl. And they went to this particular denomination, which I'm not going to mention. And she said, we always felt so inadequate. My mom was a single mom. There were three of us. My mom couldn't put much money in the plate. And we always felt like everybody was looking at us. She said, I had a horrible church experience. She said, then I've got this daughter and and my husband. My husband beat me. I've I've been divorced now for 23 years. And my husband beat me. And I asked God, where are you? And what's going on in my life? And she said, the church was just silent. She said, you you like your church? I said, I do. She said, you speak so happy and so proud of your people. I said, I I am. And she said, what do I do? I said, you reconnect with God. And her name's Elena. And I said, Elena, I want to tell you why I'm on this plane. 
My partner and I, we ran through the Chicago airport at Mach 1 speed, ran over people just so we could be on this plane. I said, this was a God thing. I'm on this plane, Elena, because God has a message for you. God loves you, and I'm going to help you reconnect with your heavenly Father. Well, by now, you know, we're at 33,000 feet. The tears are just flowing down beside her. And I said, Elena, are you a Christian? Have you ever given your life to Christ? And she said, I don't know. I don't know what that means. So we unpack it for about 20 minutes. I didn't push her. I didn't say, look, here's the toilet. Let's go be baptized, you know. It's right here. I, I, I didn't push that. I was cool about that. I did think about it, though. I thought about it. I'm, I'm with water right here. I said, Elena, do you have any friends? Do you have any godly friends that, that you could pray with? She said, I got one. I said, well, pray with her. Spend time and pray with her. Are there any churches in your area? She said, I, I don't know. I've been out of church now for over 23 years. And I said, all right. I said, get on the computer and podcast some different sermons. And she, we talked about different ministers. The only one that she knew was Charles Stanley. She never heard of Andy Stanley. She heard of Charles Stanley. I said, well, podcast Charles. She said, what about you? She said, are you on the computer? I said, we are. Podcast us. Here's my point. Jonathan and I ran through the Chicago airport. We jumped through hoops that nobody can do. You can't get through immigration. You can't get your luggage. You can't recheck. You can't get through security. You can't do all that in about 30 minutes. I got a ticket on 32B. 32A was just like the woman at the well. It was a divine appointment from the Heavenly Father. This is what God wants to do in your life. Your thing may not be running through airports and telling people about Christ, but God has a plan for you. I'm not your Holy Spirit, but you know inside of you why and how God made you. It may be to teach kids. It may be to make money. It may be to go on mission trips. It may be to start. I don't know how he's wired you. I only know that you've been designed to be the church. Since we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit of God is going to lead you to do amazing things, little, big, big, little, great, grand. It doesn't matter. The Spirit of God is alive and well inside of you. And so what is Christianity? Man, it's following Jesus. It's accepting this amazing grace of God. And it's letting the Word of God give me truth and the Spirit of God to give me direction every day of my life. My friends, we were designed to soar for Christ. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the living organism today of His hands and of His feet and His mouthpiece. And Elena got it. She got it. She knew that this was a God moment in her life. And so maybe today this is your God moment. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you haven't been in church. Maybe today you're trying to figure all this out. And God is saying to you, I love you. I accept you. I receive you. 
confess your sins, confess your needs, repent, give me your life. And so today, in just a couple minutes, we're going to have prayer partners down front. And maybe this is your day to give your life to Jesus. Maybe some of you in the room have been struggling with God's great and perfect plan for you. And you know that God wants to use you greater and bigger and deeper and better, but you're still trying to just let go and let him have his way. Again, come down to our prayer partners. Let them pray with you. Let them pray for you. I'm begging all of us in this room today. I'm begging us not to take this grace of Jesus Christ for granted. Not, Not to just take it flippantly. We've been saved. We've been cleansed. We've been redeemed. We've been, we are being transformed all for an amazing purpose of helping Jesus just to build his church and helping other people just to come and to follow Jesus. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front now. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand up at this point. And again, I want to encourage you, if you've never given your life to Jesus... This is your moment. This is your day to come down front and confess Christ is my Savior. I want to be a Christ follower. And maybe you've been a, you are a Christian, but you've really not been following him. You've just kind of accepted that free gift. Maybe today you want to ask somebody, a great one of our friends down front, just to pray for you and to pray with you and to pray over you. Embrace this. When you live your life within the margins of Scripture, life will go well for you. And when you live your life outside the margins of Scripture, life will not go well for you. Jesus, we want to follow you. How great you are. And today, I'm going to pray for my friends in this room who've never given their life to you. I'm going to ask you, Heavenly Father, that you will call them to become Christians and you will help them to receive you as Lord and Savior of their life. I'm going to ask you, Heavenly Father, to help all of us to embrace both the Word of God and the Spirit of God and to live the life we were called to live. How awesome, how great you are. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen.